You're listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. going on what's going on everybody welcome back to this week's edition of review and preview i'm tom scavetta joined alongside kyle russo kyle how's it going it's going good tom how you doing doing excellent especially after that bucks win uh i wanted to thank you as first day of the night wanted to thank you so much for joining me again here tonight we are your two hosts for the evening a quick reminder to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube on our social media at Review Preview Sports. We have an action-packed show lined up for you all here tonight. It's going to be a lot of fun. And a quick reminder before we bring on our two guests, join us on Facebook Live Sunday. This will not be on Review and Preview, but um, my, my boss asked me to promote this on our live stream tonight. Sunday, June 6th at 2 p.m. Eastern for the 48th annual Fun City Bowl featuring the FDNY versus the NYPD at MetLife Stadium. I I will be working that game. It's the first ticketed sporting event at MetLife Stadium since the beginning of the pandemic. So that's going to be a lot of fun. It'll be up on Facebook Live and YouTube. I'll probably share it in the review and preview group, but just want to plug that in there for everybody quickly. And our two guests for tonight will be Brian Attard and Mike Galetta from the Sports Box. They are the co-hosts of Highly Opinionated. And without further ado, let's bring them both up. Gentlemen, hello. Good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having us. The, the pleasure is all on this side of the table. <laughs> Brian, I know you've been on Review and Preview once before. You were actually on back for our NFC East roundtable a few months ago or about a month or two ago with Jordy and Marty Joins. That was a lot of fun. We have a quick comment here. Richard, what's up all? Shout out from Buffalo, New York. He's a big Bills guy. Same big Bills guy, Friday. big Buffalo guy. Tor- tortured Sabres fan, pretty happy Bills fan, I guess. <laughs> so... <laughs> Brian, Mike, I want you both to introduce yourselves, plug the sports box, tell us a little bit about you guys and what you both do over at the sports box. Mike, go ahead. So we, just a little background on what we do. We, uh, I mean, we love talking sports. We started it about six years ago, um, started in my basement. Um, Brian came on a year after I thought of the idea, you know, after I needed some help with it. Um, Brian's been the social media guru with Facebook, Instagram, and everything else we've gotten and We've really taken off. We we I remember the days me and Brian were doing it in the basement just on a, on a cell phone, and uh, you know technology's come a long way with us. And actually, the pandemic's helped us because now we do Streamyard, and it's been phenomenal for the guys. We got twenty two guys working for us, and like I said, we got we got shows every night. We got MMA shows, we got a baseball show, and it's just been it's been a great ride. And then only only going up, only going up. So. 
and 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 you guys can attest to this too. I think I think the biggest thing for us is deciding to go live versus pre-recorded content because again, you know, the fan interaction is so important, and really that's what's fun. You know, we you know we've all come up in the era of sports radio and things like that, where you know you always hear people calling in, giving their thoughts, and it, it it's been cool to you know interact with people, and and really the best part about doing this is meeting guys like you and, and friends that we've made that are, you know, like-minded doing, doing a lot of the same stuff. And we, we love seeing the growth you guys have as well. A lot of great content from you guys as well. So it, it's all good for everybody. And we hope the sky's the limit for, for you guys as well. Absolutely. Thank you guys. Appreciate that. I know you both have had me on the sports box twice now. So mm-hmm. wanted to return the favor. Now you guys are from South Jersey, right? So yep. you guys are doing the same this. town. Yep. Nice from next, uh, Hamilton. Yeah, the next time, the next time you buy blueberries, if they're not from here, just chuck it. <laughs> yeah, blueberry capital of the world, fifteen farms here. So. <laughs> now I know both of you co-host highly opinionated, which is normally Tuesdays at eight thirty. That will not air this week. Now, Mike, I know you talk a little golf as well. Yeah, uh, and then Brian, you just debuted a new Rangers show last Thursday, so. I know you guys are two busy men. You do a lot of hard work. So I'll remove this so they can see where to follow you guys as well. Um, but, yeah, I, I I know I'm very happy to have people that follow, like, several different sports and are very knowledgeable about that. So, yeah, it should be a lot of fun. And we have some big topics tonight. A diversified skill set comes a diversified lineup. We're going to talk some NFL, and then we're going to talk about some hockey as well. So, um the first topic is Adam Vinatieri retiring from the NFL. Now, I know you two guys, similar to me and Kyle as well, grew up with Adam Vinatieri, and it's odd to see that all players drafted in the 90s. I know Vinatieri wasn't drafted, but players from the 90s are all retired. There's none left. At 48 years of age, Vinatieri retired last week via the Pat McAfee show, played 24 years from 1996 the 2019, that includes 10 with the Patriots and 14 with the Colts. UDFA signed by the Patriots in 96 out of South Dakota State. Not a very, That's an FCS school. How does it feel that all the 90s players are officially retired? It, it kind of just tells me one thing. Like <laughs> We're all old. That's what it means. <laughs> that's what it means. It's just, that was know. the point of this segment, but yeah, I mean, no, that's – Hey, father time catches up to us all. I mean, I can't tell you, I'll be driving in my car and I'll be serious XM on it and I'll hear a song that I just love and it'll, see, it'll show you what year it's from. I'm like, Oh God, the song's 25 years old. Oh God. So it's, it's kind of, I guess the same way with athletes, you know, when, when you see these guys that you, you saw do wonderful things, you know, in, in your childhood and teenage years now hanging it up, it's, it's very much a, uh, a reminder of one's own mortality and one's own age. So it is what it is. Is that Father Time catches up to us all? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 Brian said it best. Father Time catches up with all. When I was in high school, I was that was my thing. I was a kicker. I was a kicker in college. Um, I tried out for the Soul, um, and I actually, believe it or not, got to try out with the Redskins back in the day, way back. Um, didn't make the first round, but just to you know, try out was a big thing. But um, to Vinatieri, I think you know when Vinatieri was playing after those ten years, it was a big shock to me that he went to the Colts. I mean, that, that was the big story at the time. Like, wow. This guy has done so much with the Patriots. Now he's moving on to the Colts. But you know what? His his career was consistent. He he did he was the most consistent kicker out there, and he you know, he did it his way, and he made big kicks. I mean, you talk about that kick in the snow against the Raiders. Um, you know, with the snow plows came across, and he still made that. He made clutch kicks in the Super Bowl. 
I mean, the guy's a winner. Guy played with a guy like Tom Brady for years, and it just rubbed off on him. He just came in and and did his thing, and and yeah, he's going to be uh, to me. He's going to be remembered as one of the all time kickers out there. Yeah, one of the greatest of all time, and I believe he's the all time leading scorer in NFL history yeah. as well. So just the accolades keep on building up the career he had, going from undrafted to one of the greatest recognized at his position of all time, uh, Adam Vinatieri. Absolutely. We do have a few comments here. Donald Hill from Three Man Weave. What's up, Donald? Make sure to go check them out on the Three Man Weave podcast. And then Andrew Hopper from Champaign, Illinois. Vinatieri is the GOAT, no question. Well, we just look at his career stats. You guys just named half of them. The snowball against the Raiders, 2001. You know, he wasn't very well known yet at the time. I know he had played a few years at that point, but the guy just had insane toughness and consistency to make that kick. I mean, that might have been the greatest kick in NFL history. I mean, you just don't kick long field goals in the snow. You just don't do it. Um, Mike, I know you mentioning that you have some kicking experience. Do you remember that play and what that was like watching that behind a t- behind a TV screen? I, wasn't that the um, the how the tuck rule started? Was the tuck that? rule game. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I mean, it was, it was just amazing. You, you saw the talk and, and, and you thought that was inc- crazy insane. Then he comes in and does his job. Um, I mean, that's, that's basically what a kicker does. He's the hero of the goat. I mean, he's got even more on his shoulder than a quarterback. I mean, a quarterback handles the game and does this and that, but some other positions let him off the hook sometimes with a kicker, you come in three or four times a game. And if you don't do your job, you're going to get looked at. Um, I mean, you know, Vinatieri's longest kick looked up is 57 yards, which, by by today's standards, the guys are kicking sixty yarders and everything. But that was that was the the gold standard back then. Fifty seven was a big kick back when you know in the nineties and early two thousands. And you know you look at his percentage of makes eighty three point eight percent. I mean, for a kicker that has played as long as he had and as many clutch kicks as he had, that's that's unbelievable for a guy to do and to switch teams. I mean, that's another question you can bring up. Where does how does he go into the Hall of Fame? Does he go in as a Patriot or does he go in as a Colt? Because with the Colts, he's won two. And he played actually longer with them. I think he goes in with the Patriots, but you never know. He's played longer with the Colts. It's going to be interesting to see how he does that. I think the position, though, and why I personally think this he's going to be remembered as, as the greatest of all time is not so much the fact that his success rate was better than anybody else's because there are kickers who've had better success rates. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and a lot of, you know, being the NFL leader in points, you know, people can point to you know, that being an accumulation stat that, you know, the longer you play, the more chance you're going to have to hit that numbers because of, of, of the runway that you have. But he just made very, very important kicks and very, very important Scott spots. You know, Scott Norwood is probably a, a decent kicker, but you remember him for missing the missing one to win a yeah. championship. He'll never get over that. That's what he's known for. Um, different, different position, but Tony Romo never got over Seattle, which wasn't even a quarterback play, but that's the play that haunted him his entire career. And you don't really have any of those moments for Vinatieri. In fact, it's quite the opposite. You can point to a couple different instances where his performance has been the reason for a Super Bowl championship or a big playoff win. So yeah, it helps that you get, you know, the 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 trailer attached on to Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and those Colts and Patriots teams. And it, it provides you the stage with which to make those big kicks. But then you got to make them. And he did regularly. So, you know, could a guy like Justin Tucker eventually take over? Yeah. I mean, he could be the new leading kicker. I wouldn't be surprised by that, but is he going to have, you know, four rings? Is he going to have the moments that, that Vinatieri had? Probably not. Those are very hard to even get no to. Longevity. Yeah. Right. It's hard to get to those, those moments, let alone actually make them when you get there. So, no. you know, 
the position itself is very much what do you do under pressure? And I don't know of a better pressure kicker than Adam Vinatieri. When he came in, it was over. It was over. It was, you know, most of the time it was over. So most certainly he goes into the hall as a patriot. I agree. Absolutely, Donald. I agree. Absolutely. That's a good point by Donald Hill from Three Man Weave. And let's go over his stats. I mean, we just talked about how successful and insane he was. 29 game winning field goals. Had the game winner in Super Bowl 36 and 38. I think, Kyle, you were in diapers during those games, right? <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the young one tonight. Only 20 here today. So I don't remember the, the starting so, of Adam Minitari, but I remember the ending of him. Somebody yes, buy the kid a drink. He can't get one for himself. Four Super Bowl rings, three of them with the Patriots, six AFC championship games, five Super Bowl appearances, third oldest player to appear in an NFL game, Holds the record, 44 straight field goals made, 599 field goals made throughout his career. That's a record. There's two more, too. Record leader in points, record leader in total games played, regular season and playoffs combined. Not to mention he did have that textbook touchdown saving tackle on Herschel Walker back when he was a rookie back in 1996. Um and Tom, I'll give you another one. He has a hundred and three five for five kicking games. I mean, that's that's pretty impressive in itself to kick the ball five times and, and make all five of them a hundred and three times. That's that's insane. Yeah, he is he's a real piece of art. Now it leads me to ask you guys this question. And obviously, take this question in a sense where you know you don't have to answer it full blown, but is he the best kicker of all time currently? I think he has to be. I think he has to be simply because, again, you can point to so many moments and remember them vividly in your head of moments that he has made the difference. It, it's it's the position itself, very much like a closer in baseball. It's it's what do you do in the most important spots? Do you miss it or do you make it? Anybody can make you know twenty five yarders in week three in the second quarter. I mean, no one's going to remember you for that. But he had an he had this knack for hitting them when it mattered in the biggest possible spots, and that's why we know him the way that we know him. It's not these regular season numbers. If somebody it, with without his playoff success, I don't frankly think anybody cares. But because that's what he was. Remember forever, no matter if anybody comes in there and, you know, scores more points or has a better completion percentage for a field goals or anything like that. He did it when it counts. And he was part of quite possibly the last dynasty in the NFL. So I, again, is it fair to other kickers? No, probably not. It's a very thankless position, but he's going to get a lot of credit for what the Pats did and, and to a lesser extent, the Colts. And I think because of that, we remember him that way. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I think that Vinatieri, at the end of the day, you know, people argue maybe Morton Anderson, uh, a Lou Grauza, and maybe even a Justin Tucker one day, because you look at Justin Tucker, the success that he's had, he so far, you know, in his nine seasons in the NFL has the best uh, career completion percentage. I believe it's at 90 or a little above that decimal-wise, 90% completion percentage from the field goal range since entering the NFL. And he already has almost half the amount of points that Adam Vinatieri does in his entire career, which was 25 seasons in only nine seasons in the NFL. Now, guys don't usually go that length to the age of 48, 47 years old, so we'll see what happens there. But at this point in time, it's without a doubt Adam Vinatieri, the greatest kicker of all time. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that point, too. You, you talk about you know guys like Morton Anderson, Gary Anderson, Jason Hansen, the guys, you know, I've seen them kick and things to that effect. But, I mean, for, for what Vinatieri did and came in in clutch situations, I mean, he came in with a 45-yard field goal online, and I don't remember any time they were just like, he ain't making this. It was always it was always a done deal. It was always game over. All Brady's got to do is get him in range. Always got to do. 
He was that good. He was that clutch. He had ice in his veins. He'd come in, and, like you said, a Super Bowl. He came in in the Oakland game when it was snowing out and barely got any footing and just got it through. He was that good, and I, I would call him the best kicker of all time. So would I. I think we're four for four on that statement. I mean, again, not far-fetched to say at this point. So I personally just loved everything about him. Had him on my fantasy team a couple of years. Daniel asks, how long for him to make the Hall of Fame? Well, he'll be eligible in five years. So he'll be first ballot. Yeah, he has to be first ballot. And if he's not unanimous, I want to know what that guy's thinking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, folks, keep the comments coming. Really appreciate all the support that everyone's bringing here tonight. This is Tom Scavetta, Kyle Russo with Mike Galetta, and Brian Attard from the Sports Box. As we have them on, we'll uh, also plug their their ticker here so you guys can follow them on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. So now we get into the real fun stuff. We get to pick on Brian's Cowboys just a little bit. Now that's 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 so new to me. <laughs> as as a Giants fan, I really like to pick on the Philadelphia Eagles, and I think Brian feels the same way. Being you know, you have to put up with this stuff twenty four, and Mike as well. I've been doing that for 25 years. It's been wonderful. I highly, highly suggest it. It's very fun. You're one of the very few Cowboys fans that um, I feel like I've talked Cowboys football about without getting into an argument. Not once. Uh, Brian is very smart when it comes to his Cowboys. Dak Prescott has been participating at OTAs. What are your thoughts on his progression that the fact that he's out there is – pretty impressive and what do you expect from it i think he's due for a great season but what do you think of this modern medicine is wonderful and technology is great and it's great to see him back out there because they're going to need him um you know it's one of those things where coming into this year i i i've been a very vocal critic of him on on the field and that's just you know who i am when it comes to him but i have to be fair i can't really judge anything he does this year against him simply because of the situation. You're coming off of a major, major injury. And as we've seen with some other quarterbacks around the league, namely Carson Wentz, I think, you know, too often you expect that guy to be that guy immediately when he gets back onto the field. And I just don't think that that's fair. So for me, any chance the Cowboys have of being successful goes through him as is most teams in the league is the quarterback position. If that guy's a complete disaster, you're probably not winning too many games as Michael Letta can tell you in regards to Jameis Winston prior to Tom Brady's arrival. So it's good to see him out there. Look, everybody looks great. You know, it's June the 1st today. Uh, are they even wearing pads and OTAs or are they just slinging the ball around? I mean, again, he's out there. That in and of itself is a plus. That means the odds of him being as 100% as he's going to be by kickoff of week one is good. It means he's well along in his in his recovery. But, you know, I, I get in this conversation with people all the time about what he was prior to the injury. That team should have, should have been winless, if not for the Falcons not knowing the rules to the league. And frankly, a lot of those numbers that he had were created by the fact that the defense couldn't stop me or you. So let's just pause before, you know, the first game comes up against Tampa and they lose – 31 to 21, and he only has 250 yards and two touchdowns. They, like, whoa, what happened to Dak Prescott? Well, the Bucks defense isn't the Falcons defense. Let's call it what it is. It is, however, all in all, in all, good to see him upright and moving around. It makes you think they're going to be at least, you know, a, a, a rolling start for, for week one, if you will. 
Yeah, and it'll be really interesting to see because, you know, obviously what we've seen, Tom, as Giants fans and, and Brian, you as a, a Dallas fan, is how important that offensive line was. You guys had the greatest offensive line potentially ever from 2015 to 2017. And you saw that last season that kind of faded away with Travis Frederick having to retire. Lil Collins got hurt. Tyron Smith is constantly hurt. And whatever Dak is able to accomplish, it'll be with that offensive line as well and what they're able to establish. Not a lot of people are talking about that. You know, all these draft picks on the defense, all Dak is coming back. Ezekiel Elliott, what will he be? Michael Gallup, uh, Amari Cooper, and CeeDee Lamb, that'll carry you to the promised land. No, if he doesn't have an offensive line blocking him, you're going to be right back in the same boat. And I think that's where the production goes, and that's where my stance is, at least at this point. I think Dallas still has the shot to win the division. I think they're the favorites. But how far can they get in the playoffs based on what they have in the offensive line? Because that's not the surefire thing anymore with them. No, it's, it's definitely not. And, and and going back to the pick, which I'm sure we'll talk about, I you know the, the way everything kind of played itself out, I would not have been upset whatsoever if Rayshon Slater was the pick at that spot because I think that they it's a, it's like an under the radar type need. You know, we look at the Cowboys and we always assume that oh their offensive line is so good because like you said, it has been for so long. But Father Time catches up. Smith's not the player that he was. He, he is now very injury prone and can miss time. You know. Um, Zach Martin's getting up there in age two. Lyle Collins coming there for nothing, which was a, basically a draft gift to them, I think was very, very helpful. And I like, you know, Connor Williams more, more than most. Um, I, I think personally the, the offensive line is, it is important to what Dak does, but I think it's clearly more important to what Ezekiel Elliott does, who frankly looked very pedestrian without that yeah. offensive line, which then continues to beg into the question, why is he getting paid the way he's getting paid if his production is nothing more than a result of the line that's in front of him? I mean, if, if, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But then you want to go pay those guys, and you should be able to get the production from a lesser paid player at the running back position if he can't open up. Not that I expect him to open up holes for himself by any stretch. What I'm saying is you're being paid to do elite things on your own. The office vice should just be helping you do that. He wasn't really doing that last year. So it's true. Dak will need them to will need to be have the protection from them. But I, again, I, I think that the way the offense is built, he'll be able to get the ball out to people. I'm not really concerned about that. They do need a running game that you need to respect because again, you have a lot of ball, people to throw the ball to, but they have to need to have a little bit of time to get open. So to me, my larger concern is. I'm paying a lot of money to one position that I just don't think I'm, the juice is not worth the squeeze to me for that. Yeah, see, I'm man. We've had this conversation before, me and Brian, on the show about I'm I'm kind of a Dak fan. He's not. Um, I, I just kind of think Dak was put in a situation when he was first drafted. You know, they thought they thought Romo was going to be here for another year or two to let to to kind of mentor him and kind of get him ready. Well, he was thrown into the fire, and Prescott was you know thrown in action. He's not a starter. He's he was thrown into a starter's role. I mean, he was drafted. You know, the second, I think the third round, Brian, third round he was drafted. So, I mean, he wasn't drafted to be the starter and the next guy. He needed to be the next guy in a couple oh, of Dak years. Oh, Dak, fourth round pick. Fourth round pick. Okay, excuse me. So, you know, with, with Dak, I think his progression has come along. The injury obviously set him back a little bit. But like Kyle said, that, that offensive line is going to tell you all you're going to need to know about him. If he has the offensive line in front of him, then he can stand upright, maybe move around a little bit and, and see some defensive reads. It's going to be fine because I think he's coming along nice. I mean, he, a lot of people say he's overpaid, but – that's the price of quarterbacks nowadays in the league. I mean, that's that's not going to change. It's going to keep going up and up and up. Um, I think he's going to be fine with Dallas. And I think if that line can hold together and, and give him some time, like Kyle said, the Dallas is going to be right there in the contention for the division. I don't see anybody else really. Uh, and Dallas could pull away with it, to be honest with you. 
They could. And it's interesting because obviously they focused heavily on defense in this draft. You know, they there are rumors that Jalen Smith and Leighton Van Der Esch could potentially be straight could be traded. I know Van Der Esch has been linked to the Pittsburgh Steelers, but before we get there, I just want to get to this comment from Donald, another Cowboys fan. The benefit of being so bad last year was that they gained experience. So what looked like a weakness now becomes quality depth. And, and to Don's point, you know, Tony Pollard in, in spots, I thought he was like the better rusher. He, I yeah. think he really did. And you can attribute that to a, a variety of reasons. You know, again, Zeke's got that guaranteed money. And you always talk about, you know, now that you, you're you quote unquote fat and happy, like do you still, you know, run as hard as you did, you know, when you're trying to get that check. Um, but I mean, that, but that, like I said, I mean, if, if you can get production of that position because of the offensive line, I don't think it behooves you to put a lot of money into the running back spot or a high pick for that matter, which frankly he was both. Sal also kind of kind of agrees, never drop big money on a running back. Similar take to you, Brian. Yep. Solid O-line, okay running back, will give the same production. Now, here's my thing, right? We talked about Dallas potentially winning this division. Now, you improve defensively. However, those guys are rookies. So you, rookie corners take long – most rookie corners take longer to develop in the NFL than other positions because they're constantly being targeted – you went, you drafted Micah Parsons, Kelvin Joseph, and I think it was more important than ever to focus on defense in this draft because now Jalen Smith and Leighton Van Der Esch, one of those two, maybe even both, hopefully none, are on the way out. What are some what are your thoughts on that? And where are some potential destinations that you think either of these two players could potentially end up? I don't necessarily know that they need to rush anybody out of town, at least not this year. I mean, you have the guys under contract, so I don't necessarily know how much cap space you'd bring back. I mean, I'm a Van Der Esch guy. I mean, but at the same time, he hasn't been healthy. So I understand why they didn't want to, you know, guarantee that fifth-year option. And they kind of want to see what they have in him before they give him any more money. But look, I was a huge fan of the Jabril Cox pick because, again, you're getting a guy who I thought was, at worst, a day-two pick in day three. So – for all of the reaches that they had in the third round, I mean, I think they made up for it in a nice way by taking a guy like Cox, who they had no thought was going to be there, and I don't doubt that. Um, they say Parsons was the highest defensive player on their board. I don't know how much of that is posturing, how much of that is reality, because I really think they would have enjoyed having one of the two corners, um, whether it was Sir Sertan or Horn, but neither here nor there. Jalen Smith seems like the one that I think that they may keep more. I think he just, he strikes me as a Jones guy. I've always thought that, you know, he, Jerry likes to be right about his guys and he'll continue to push the issue on his guys because of the ego that he has. He wants to be right about his guys. And Jalen Smith was taken in the Elliott draft. They went Smith, um, Elliott in the first round of Smith in the second, which is far against the plan that I had, which was, you know, Ramsey and Derek Henry, which now probably would have worked out just fine. Um, it feels to me, though, that they're more committed to a guy like Jalen Smith than Van Der Esch. If they move on from Van Der Esch, I'm not really that upset about it because, again, they have added to the position. My, my overarching concern is that they keep drafting linebackers and not pass-rushing linebackers. Like, I think we need to delineate between the two. You know, when, when, you're, when you have basically defensive ends outside pass rushers at linebacker, it's different than, you know, the, some of these guys that they're playing the position now. I, I think, frankly middle linebackers on the defense have become a very de-emphasized position. And I really don't like seeing high picks put into it. But Parsons is, is, is an athlete, a freak player. He's going to do very good things for them. But at the same time, I, I think that 
someone's got to go. Like it's, it's a musical chairs type thing. So between the two, I think they're more likely to move on from Van Der Esch, Pittsburgh, maybe, you know, but I, I, I would trade into anybody for, for, for whatever the best return is that I could get. It's still, you know, still in his rookie deal though, right now. So like, I don't, I don't, I don't know that the rush is there. Like you don't even know what you have. I mean, what if, what if one of these guys gets hurt in training camp? Like, do you really want to put in a position to maybe get a fifth round pick or something? I mean, it just, look, all depends. Someone wants to give me a one. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that all day. But un- unless the price is something that's going to make me want to move, I'd much rather have the flexibility in case somebody goes down in camp. And if someone goes down to, in somebody else's camp, you know, I have a, a very important piece they may want. Price may be up at that point. That's a good point. Now, I think what's interesting, too, is that both of these guys play the same position, but they do play it a little differently. You know, so hopefully they can stay healthy. Hopefully it all works out. I don't see either of them being moved at this time, but it'll be interesting to monitor throughout the offseason. Um, Mike, we're going to move on to your Tampa Bay Buccaneers now, and obviously the defending Super Bowl champions and what they did in this offseason. A lot of interesting moves in the draft. First round, there was a late run on edge rushers. Tampa Bay was in on that. We actually had a Bucks fan from Tampa Bay on our draft show, um, on my friend's draft show Thursday night that predicted they may take Kyle Trask in day two, and that is exactly what happened. I mean, I was mind-boggled when the next night it happened. I mean, I wasn't too shell-shocked because, you know, he could be a potential replacement for Brady down the line, but Tryon, Trask, Darden, I kind of like what Tampa Bay did. It seemed like the Bucks drafted more for depth, and it just goes to show how they really don't have many holes. At least I think. Yeah, and they and you know the Tryon pick. I kind of thought about it first. I'm like, you know, why? Because I haven't heard a lot about this guy, but he's a linebacker that can play defensive end, and their their plan um, with him. I mean, he's six five, two fifty nine, and, and is a, is a you know pretty good guy. He he's a little bit of work. Um, but they're looking to replace somebody for Pierre Paul because I don't think they're going to re-sign him next year. They're going to have to start, you know, start nixing some guys, and I think Pierre Paul could be on the way out next year, so that could be the replacement for him. But um, as for Kyle Trask, I mean, and, and, and me and Brian, I've talked about this with Brian for probably three months now. I've been, I've been, I don't want to say the quarterback guru, but two years ago I did say Josh Allen coming out of Wyoming was going to be the guy to look for in the draft. Rolls out, got a big arm, can can just have to learn the fundamentals. Last year was Herbert, loved him out of Oregon, thought he was going to be a real good player. This year I went off the grid, and I told everybody, I said, I think Kyle Trask is going to be the kid that you got to look for. He's a smart kid. He's got a big arm. He, he doesn't run that much. He's got to learn the game, but and he's, going to, he's not going to start right away. But he's going to be a guy to look for in the upcoming future. When the Bucks drafted him, I just – you want to talk about – I never thought I'd be this excited for a second-round pick. It's unbelievable. This kid's going to sit behind – the best in the business for two years, two, three years, however long Brady plays, and then he's going to step in and hopefully have the team somewhat of what they have, young secondary, young linebacking core, um, you know, offensive wide receivers that are that are great. Offensive line is loaded. Um, I, he's in the perfect situation, Trask, and I, I love it. Um, I mean, Darden, Darden was a little bit of a reach. Uh, he was projected as a sixth or seventh round guy. Um, you know, Bucks moved up to t- take him because he's – He's aggressive. Um, he's got a. He averages 132 yards a game, which is pretty impressive. He scored 31 touchdowns in his last 21 games, uh, which is pretty impressive. I mean, coming out of a North Texas school that really nobody watches, nobody hears. Um, you know, he's a guy that they have a lot of 
a lot of receivers now um, on the team that they can use. So um, he's going to be a guy that'll come along and, and and be nice for them. I think he'll he'll slide into the offense in maybe a year or two, and and he'll fit in there nicely. But yeah, get back to what you said, Tom. I really like what the Bucks did. They really they really could have went anywhere on the map, and they really kind of loaded up or, or boosted what they thought was necessary. And I, I, I love the pick for trash because you got to address the quarterback need. I know Brady's there and he won and, you know, you don't want him to leave until he's, you know, 90 or whatever, but he's going to have to leave eventually. And why not start the grooming process now to get a guy behind him and just, and just learn behind the best in the business and see what he does. It's, it's a, it's a pure luxury pick and, and they're in a spot to do it. Yep. You know, yep. I mean, again, you, you're bringing back every starter you had from a championship winning team. Like what, yep. what are you, what, what are you going to do? You know, um, a, a guy that they, and there was talk, he, they might take him in the first round. Like it, they had nothing yeah. that they needed. Like it's a, an extremely enviable spot to be in, but why not? I mean, look, you, you want to get, look, we've seen guys play behind Brady for years and then just, you know, get set somewhere else. At some point that will stop, you know, <laughs> whether it's, you know, the Ryan Mallets, the Jimmy G's I mean, some Robert, of the guys, like, Castle, yeah. Man. I mean, the guys who, who were behind him in new England that, you know, just never saw the light of day. And it's always like, Oh, here's the one, right. And Tom Brady might play until he's 50. What the hell do we know? I mean, he can do whatever he wants. He's Tom Brady. He can play until he's going to get social security and no one's going to tell him. No, what are they going to you? They won a super bowl. So, you know, who knows when Trask actually starts an NFL game of any kind of consequence, but what's he care? He's got the best spot in the NFL. He's yeah. going to get paid to watch Tom Brady play and learn how it's done from the best that ever do it. So to me, it is totally amazing how they signed everybody again. I mean, I know Mike Evans after the Super Bowl, so he'll take less money to redo contracts. I know three or four other guys that I mean, even signed Antonio Brown, which I didn't think was going to happen. But I mean, they brought the whole crew back. They just love winning. They love playing with Brady, and they'll do whatever they have to do, money wise or contract wise or whatever to get it done. But they got the whole crew back, which is totally, totally mind boggling to me. So. And when you look at the when you look at this draft, that's exactly what it says: is that they didn't draft anything of need; they drafted depth. Because again, bringing back twenty-two year starters, you don't have any holes to essentially fill. And we saw guys step up in big situations, like Vita Vea missed almost the entirety of the season, but they had guys step up for them on that defensive front. The secondary, which we thought going into the season was very young, they looked really good come the end of the season, especially Antoine Winfield Jr., who's fantastic at safety. By the way, the offensive line was kind of a question mark going into the season, but they developed nicely. Uh, Donovan Smith, I think, just got the bag this offseason as well with an extension. The running back core is nice. There's nothing to really add. So to get Kyle Trask, and I think that what makes that pick so much more exciting is that you see with other teams how they address their quarterback situation, how they try to work in other things. The elephant in the room, Aaron Rodgers, right? Drafting a Jordan Love in the first round. You know, Kyle Trask going in the first round doesn't have that same kind of, you know, effect because of the fact that you know what Tom Brady is capable of putting in the Super Bowl every single year. So there's no time clock on him. But then to get the guy you wanted in the second round to potentially be the successor of Tom Brady, it just makes it that much more sweeter. Yeah, I don't I don't see it. And I have these discussions. So Ryan Hovermail is one of the guys in the sports box, big Packers guy. And him and I go back and forth on this a lot. I actually think in retrospect, the Jordan Love pick might be the single worst draft pick in NFL history, having nothing to do with the actual player himself. Because it, it creates this domino effect now in Green Bay that you may not be able to turn the clock back on. And – the part that I hated, and it, it was Jalen Hurts in Philly was very similar. Is you, you're taking it, and but I thought it was actually more egregious on on the Packers side of things because it's a one. Like when you're taking a quarterback in the first round, it says something. There's just a different feel to it. Like if Jordan Love was a third round pick, nobody says anything. You know, if Jalen Hurts was a third round pick, people say even less. But when you take him in the first round, when you move up for a guy, 
it says that you have plans for that guy. And I'm of the belief that Aaron Rodgers is really the more, most talented quarterback in the league, potentially the most talented quarterback of all time, results aside. And, you know, he, I thought, had a four or five year run left in him in Green Bay. So why are you drafting futures when you have a chance to augment your team right now in a championship contending window coming off of two straight conference championship losses? The Trask thing in, New, in, in Tampa Bay feels completely different because they're bringing all their starters back coming off of a championship. And what did they need? It's not as if Tampa Bay wasn't putting all of these people around Tom Brady for years. The Packers did none of yeah. that on the offensive side of the ball. They got nine straight first round picks on a defensive player. Oh, by the way, the 10th one drafting Roger potential replacement, put that up your ass. Right. I mean, it, yeah. it just felt totally different, felt totally just didn't like it. And, and now we're seeing the results of that. We'll see who survives. In Green Bay. The one thing quickly I want to say is that, that, that what I think hurt the Packers with that pick is if if, if uh, love fell to them at their pick, they could spin it as, well, we couldn't pass on this guy. We didn't think we were going to get him. He was there for us to take. But like Brian said, when you move up and make an effort to go after this guy, that just looks so bad, especially in Rodgers' case. you got a guy who's a top three quarterback, and we kind of predicted this. He was going to have a great year, the kind of the, you know, screw you guys here. And now he, now he wants out. So it's going to be interesting what happens. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to monitor. I mean, we've talked about the Bucks draft picks and what they've done. One guy we didn't mention was Robert Hainsey, lineman out of Notre Dame in the third round, who I had a fifth, sixth round grade on. Um, but it fills a hole. Not really a hole, but it fills a depth piece that could help yep. Tampa Bay yep. on that line in the future. Again, you're not looking for starters, really. You're looking for future depth pieces, developmental prospects. Why not? Taking a lineman out of Notre Dame on day two, that doesn't hurt. They're an O-line factory. So there's that. Jalen Darden, I think, will have an immediate impact on special teams. Yep. Could potentially, in a year or two, emerge into that slot role. But now the best part about this segment tonight is that the Bucks and Cowboys open up on Thursday night football in week one. And I hope you guys are doing something that night because that, that should be probably, uh, probably not. <laughs> probably not. We, 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 we probably have a similar idea of how the game's going to end up, at least how we see it right now on June oh, 1st. Well, I, I think that's on both sides of the fence there, but that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, if you look at the Cowboys' schedule, I, I mean, I see 10, 11 wins easily. I mean, again, I say that with years of disappointment on my shoulders when I say that, but <laughs> the schedule doesn't look that very hard. It doesn't look that difficult. This is a loss. Okay. I mean, more times than not, the team that's opening up this for, coming off a Super Bowl championship wins this game at home. It's going to be the first game with a full house. I mean, I, I don't see any way you, I don't see why a Cowboys team would be expected to go in there and win that game. I think the spread six and a half, I want to say already, and that's going to change no. over, you know, between now and the game, but Am I going to like the sky is falling if they go in Tampa and lose? No. <laughs> I, mean, that's, I, mean, I expect them to. I'm putting a hell on the schedule right now. And you you shouldn't either, frankly, because it's a very long season. Didn't Tampa Bay lose week one last year? Everybody was like, oh, Tom Brady. Hey, they won a Super Bowl. Worked out just fine. They struggled in the first four games, actually, and people were a little concerned about it. But, yeah, I think – and all things considered with the Bucks schedule, I mean, they obviously won the Super Bowl, so they're not getting not getting an easy schedule. I mean, they got teams like the Cowboys. They got the Rams. They got the Bills. Uh, you know, week week four, I believe it is, is the week I'm looking for. They go back to – New and week five, they go back to New England. Tom Brady's homecoming. That's going to be electric there. And listen, they they earned the right to be Super Bowl champs next year. Now they got to prove it again. So it's going to be interesting. I'm – 
I think it's going to be a tough game with the Cowboys in the opening day. Um, but I think that defense can come through. I think they're going to get back into form. Maybe Bray's a little rusty coming off the knee surgery he's had in the offseason, but I think the Bucs can win that game. Not, a, think, not, a, you, not a blowout. Hold on, hold on. Do you think your quarterback going to be rusty coming off knee surgery? <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. But there, there shouldn't be a lot of offense in this game. Take the under. <laughs> Tampa wins, Tampa covers. Move on. <laughs> I don't okay. even know the line is. Just whatever it is, Tampa wins, Tampa covers. I think the over-under is 11.5 with the Bucs. I think I'd take the over. Kyle, what are your thoughts on this game? I know it's way too early to even go I mean, into this, but this this game screams ratings. When the when the schedule before <laughs> it came out, you know, I was yeah. I was hoping that Brady would be going back home to New England to open up Week One. I thought that was the that was the key money maker. But then everybody forgets the the marketing team of the NFL is you know you play Dallas, your ratings will go through the roof combined with the Super Bowl champions. So I think it'll definitely be an interesting matchup. Again, with Dallas, I mean, a tough, tough test against that offense, like we talked about earlier. All those rookies on that defensive front. Dan Quinn, who I think is uh, higher up level-wise than your previous defensive coordinator, anything will be better than a guy that's coaching a 35-point plus giving up uh, on defense. But having all those rookies out there against Tom Brady, I mean, it's not, it's not going to be a recipe for success, I don't think so, for Dallas. Yeah, well – one thing I take away from the schedule is the NFL loves picking on the NFC East. You get three sub-500 teams on the first two weeks of Thursday night football to open up the season because the Giants play Washington the following week on Thursday night football. So, you know, that NFC East, love to hate on it, but promotion, got to promote the NFC East. Everybody wants chaos. That's exactly what you're going to get. The uh, uh, cheapest seat, by the way, for that Patriots-Bucks game is $850 right now. Yeah. <sighs> That's the cheapest seat I found. So, wow, yeah, so yeah, that's, yeah. It might be worth the drive up. You never know. It's uh, yeah. I work. I work in that northeastern area, but I don't think I'd be going to the game. I think it's a little, <laughs> a little out of my league there. So, <laughs> it'll be interesting to talk about. We'll have to talk about the Bucks and the Cowboys as we get closer to that Week One matchup. But for now, we're going to switch gears a little bit into the more up-to-date topic, the NHL playoffs. Now, before we get there, I know Kyle is the only person in this stream tonight with his team still in the mix. Mike is the Flyers fan. Brian and I are a very sad Rangers fan. And, you know, it was about a year ago, I noticed you guys on Facebook Live for the first time. I was watching your stream, and then I sent it over to Kyle. I'm like, I like these guys. They're pretty good, you know? And the one thing Kyle noticed and I'll give it off to Kyle in a second. He's like, I recognize Brian. I recognize him from something. I know this guy. <laughs> yeah, no, I recognized from the MSG clip uh, a while yeah. back oh, you know, on your Rangers man yeah. cave. I remembered I it. I, I recognized it so much. I'm not in there right now. This is my home office where I do most of the shows. But yes, it, it's they still run the commercial from time to time, which is nice. Like I get to see my son. Uh, you know, when he was a lot younger. I mean, that was probably filmed in the. <sighs> It was 2018, I want to say. Yeah, yeah, like summer, fall 2018. So he was a, he was he was born in January 18. So he's probably what eight nine months. He, he just turned three in January. So it tells you how long ago that was. Uh, I do I do love having that forever. I mean that that'll be something. I mean I have the video, so it's nice to it's nice to have. No, absolutely. Now, hopefully the Rangers are able to turn things around next season. But New York Islanders are in the second round again for now. That. That yeah. Video, yeah, for now, that video went viral last night. It was at some 
Kyle, I don't know if you caught that video after the game two win at some guy's restaurant in Long Island. I think. Yeah, that's Gary. right by my campus. Borelli's. They're uh, part yeah. of the barstool fund. It's I hate absolutely that guy. nuts. Absolutely I hate, nuts. I hate, I hate that guy. <laughs> Portnoy's yeah, well, fine, but Frankie's just annoying. Big win, big win. I mean, you beat Pittsburgh for the second year out of the last three playoffs, second time out of the last three playoffs. Took care of them. Brock Nelson, really solid in the playoffs so far this year. I mean, you dropped game one to Boston, but, I mean, you had to know this series is going to go back and forth. Despite uh, last week, we are actually talking to a Bruins fan from JDF Sports and you know, just talking about how dominant this team is and how they can potentially make a run to the conference finals or – you know, and I got to say, once the Bruins caught up last night, I was a little concerned. I, I started to think, I think the Bruins are going to take this game. Yeah. When you could have a guy like Taylor Hall and call him the fourth best <laughs> offensive player on your team, you know that you're stacked offensively when you got the three headed monster and Marshawn, Bergeron, and then Pastanaku. You know, I were part of the key contributions why that game was even able to go to overtime. But having that 3 1 lead, that was the longest 10 minutes of my life. That was. And you knew, you knew right away that they they probably, while you hoped that they were able to hold the lead, as soon as, uh, I think Bergeron was the one who scored the second goal for them. As soon as he scored, it's like, all right, here we go. Here we go. It's going to happen. It's going to force an OT. And this is a Boston team who this year, while the Islanders who have been not as great in OT this year, Boston has been absolutely tremendous in overtime. So to have that opportunity, very, very nerve-wracking. And the Islanders get a nice bounce uh, to get – Casey Sezikis out on an open path and, and score on Tuka Rask. So that was really awesome to take one on the road because obviously going back to the barn, they're a great home team this year. I think they only have, I want to say like three or four regulation losses at home this year, which is unbelievable for the Islanders. So that's going to be something that's been key in this series, in this Pittsburgh in the Pittsburgh series as well, is that they were really good at home, you know, and they, and they got some lucky things going their way with the Tristan Jari, uh, I think it was in – I don't want to say – I think it was in OT okay, where he fine. pushes out and he passes it right to Josh Bailey for the open look. And yeah. They've had they've had a lot of luck, but they played very, very well. Something that was nerve-wracking for this Islanders team going into the series is that, you know, they had a scheduled easy May, but they lost a lot of games to Buffalo and a lot of games to New Jersey, which could have put yourselves higher up in the seating to avoid having to play Pittsburgh, who at the time was a really, really dominant team going in. It was very – Scary. And and they moved past them. They got, you know, they played very well. Now they're playing Boston, which I said before, I think they probably had one of the best deadline deals of, you know, the last couple of years, getting Taylor Hall for a second round pick, absolutely fleecing Buffalo. People don't understand that when you're a good player, uh, better players playing around you will also make you better. So 13 points in 16 games with the Boston Bruins really escalated Taylor Hall's value from here to here. And, and you're seeing that on the ice. So while it is 1-1 right now, going back to the barn, having that home ice advantage, it's very exciting because, again, uh, a team that went to the Eastern Conference Finals last year and, you know, could be back on their way to doing that once again. Yeah, I think Boston, is. besides that they play very physical, they try to really knock you around the ice and take you out of your play. And it's just, it's the thing with the Islanders, how they match up well with them is they're a methodical team. They'll just wait out. They'll just wait it out. They'll just play their spots and pick and choose and – they might not light it up on offense, but you know what? That one opening they're going to get, they capitalize on it. And that's what's scary about the Islanders. And they're doing it without Tavares in the yeah. last few years. So all you heard of, all, you know, growing up Tavares, 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 it's not there. He hasn't it, been there for years. It is very hard to win games the way they win games. I mean, I, I the idea yeah. that you're going to just hope – you're going to get shelled and hope to be very um, 
make the the chances you get count. I think it's it just it's just a hard game to play. It's and storm. You know, I, yeah. I, I go back to game one. I actually posted this um, on the the Blue Truth page, my my Ranger show that I just started that Tom made mention of. Is there was a point in the game, um, you know, where it was one one in the second period, and the Islanders were you know plus seven in hits but minus twelve in shots. And at the end of the day, if you're hitting the other team, that means you don't have the puck, and they do, and you're trying to get it. So. I don't necessarily I, I think teams that tend to get that tend to out hit tend to get out shot. And I think the Islanders y- you keep going to the well one too many times. I mean, yeah, they had that lead in game two, but it really dr- dried up for them in the third period. And they were very fortunate to get that bounce to get to break Sezikis out on, on that that breakaway. I don't think this is a good matchup for the Islanders. I jokingly said, you know, Bruins in three in jest, but you know, you kind of yeah, right, basically right. <laughs> That's kind of what I thought. You know. And assuming, I mean, let's look, I think Boston wins the series, but let's just say that let's find, say the Islanders find a way. Then you're playing Tampa or Carolina, which also you're not a very good matchup for. And let's say you find a way through that. Then you're probably getting Colorado. I mean, I really think that their road was one of the harder ones that you could probably project out to win something. And if you look at their salary cap situation, it doesn't look very good for next year. If you count the money that Boychuk is counting against the cap before he's off LTIR, they're 14K over next year. Now he'll come off. He'll give them some flexibility. Sorokin's not signed. Um, Sazik is, is a UFA. I think Pelic is, is RFA. Uh, Bouvillier is like they had, they're in a, a, a world of hurt in the, with the salary cap. I don't know how many more runs they have, frankly. Um, I told the guys, I didn't like them going back to Varlamov in game two, Frank. I know it worked out for them, but I didn't like that. I don't like when there's two goalies in a playoff run or a playoff series. I think it means you have no goalies. You got to go with one. And the fact that Sorokin was 4-0 against Pittsburgh and Varlamov was 0-2, I didn't think game one was on him, frankly. I didn't think think the goals that were scored, right, you could say, oh, we'll we'll blame Sorokin for that. I think Sorokin's the superior goaltender. I think he's very good. Um I don't know. I don't think it's a good matchup for them. And Kyle, like you said, Taylor Hall is probably the fourth best offensive player on Boston. To be fair, the only guy on, on the Islanders that plays in their top six is probably Barzell. Like it's just, it's a different team. They're built yep. differently. I don't know that the way that they're built is too conducive to winning a playoff series against a team that doesn't self-destruct. Yep. And Pittsburgh got really self-destructed even last year. I mean, I re- Mike, and you can probably attest to this, I think everybody in the world overrated the Flyers based on a 10-game winning streak they had in March. And then they, they won the round robin, which was basically, as Keith Jones told us on our show, exhibition games. So everybody yeah. was like, you know, six to midnight for the Flyers. They weren't that good last year, and they, so you saw what they were this year. Yeah. Again, I am not an Islander fan. You can probably guess that. Objectively, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, I don't like the way they're built, so I don't think that that – that is going to help them win a playoff series. I still like Boston to win the series. I'm just going to say in short, Sorokin and Varlamov, as simple as this sounds, they're going to, one of these games, they're going to get barraged. Boston's just going to come at them in such, such a heavy, heavy wave that they're going to get shots galore, maybe, maybe 30, 40 shots in this game. It's just going to be a matter of they can survive the storm. If they can survive the storm and maybe steal that game or hang in that game, it, they'll be fine. They could have a chance to win this series. If they lose that game or they get shelled or they, they lose it, it it's going to be over. Boston's going to shoot. That's the only reason Islanders are hanging on by a thread right now. They're just they're, – they're methodical and they're playing their style. They're trying to survive the storm right now. But like Brian said, I don't know if, if that's possible. I mean, we'll see what happens. It's like as an Islander fan, I know this, you know, watching throughout the season, the last couple of seasons, is that 
while they may not have the McDavid, they may not have the McKinnon, they may not have the Eichel or the Panarin or whatever, they have a lot of great role players on this team. And there's no real guy that you could say, that's going to be the reason why we win the game tonight. With the goaltending, that's the reason why you win the game almost every single night. Because like Brian and Mike, like you said as well, is that, you know, even in this game last night, the Islanders were up, I think it was 2-1 or 2-0. 2-1, oh, yeah. and they had like 10 less shots than the Boston Bruins. It was like 14 to 25. Yeah. Yeah. Just, that's just the way they play. The goalies keep them in the game, but again, with the minimal amount of shots, you have to make sure that you capitalize on that. And if they're able to do so, they'll be able to compete because even in the games that Varlamov played uh, against the Penguins, while that game three wasn't, wasn't the best, leaving, letting up five goals – that game, too, was not his fault. When he saved 43 shots on 45 attempts, he was getting no no offensive support. They scored one goal in that game. And you look at every other single game that Sorokin played the following, I want to say the following three games, they scored like an average around three and a half goals in those three games. That's why they were winning. They just got to consistently do that. Now, it's definitely harder against this Boston team because I think they're more capable of putting up astronomical numbers offensively goal-wise and better goaltending as well. Tuka Rask compared to Tristan Jari, it's not even a conversation. But if the Islanders capitalize on their minimal amount of shots and still have this goalie playing level, because, again, I don't think that any of these guys are playing bad in the playoffs. Like With the exception of that game three by Varlamov, none of these guys play bad. If they still play on that level, they still have an opportunity to compete. Is it going to be six, seven games? Probably, but I don't think that you know Boston's not wiping them away. But I think it just, but like you said, you leave it. If you're allowing 40 shots a game, if your goalie saves 90% of them, that's four goals that go in. So that's yeah. like, like it's just, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's hard to continue to do that and then hope your goalie bails you out. Coming yeah. from a guy who had his team make long runs, having the goalie bail them out because that's what they were from 12 to 16. They weren't that really good of a team. I think it was fool's gold thing that they were, but Henrik Lundqvist was God in the playoffs. I mean, that was the only reason they went anywhere and go back to some of his numbers that he had, but they allowed a lot of, it's kind of something where like I watch the Islanders now and and, and this defensive system I hear so much about, I don't see any of that. If you're allowing 40, 35 to 40 shots a game, I don't know what defensive system you're running, but it's not a very good one because too many pucks are getting to your net. And if the other team's got that many more shots than you do, that means they have the puck more than you do, which means you don't, and you can't score if you don't have the puck. They, they got to figure that out because and they were better in game two, especially in the second period. But in the first two periods of game one, Boston was wiping the floor with them. Mm-hmm. Like it was, there were parts where it was even overtime last night, except for like a flurry that the Islanders had. I mean, that puck was in the, the Islanders end a lot. And it wasn't until you had that miscue that they had their shot. And yes, they made it, they made it happen. But you're just asking a lot to be really, really, you know, doing having those chances just work for you more times than an average. I just think it's, I, that to me is not a recipe for success. To me. And you, you got to pick one goalie and go with them. You can't, you, you can't I, name me another Stanley cup winner. That's rotated goalies and won a Stanley cup. You got to get a goalie on a run and get him in a rhythm and, and get him to play. I mean, it, it's got to happen like that. And, I, and Tom, I didn't know if you were going to talk about it or not, but how about Harry price again, stepping up and being the man in net and Toronto blowing it again. It's unbelievable. This team just can't get it right. Can't get it right. This team. Unbelievable. Toronto. Yeah, that's, that's definitely coming up. I just want to say one thing about the Bruins and Islanders, then we'll move, and then we'll move on from it. You're, you're right about the shots. If Pasternak's scoring a goal in each period, like he did in game one, there's no chance the series goes past five games. I'll be bold enough to say that. And Kyle knows 
I say things in a tongue-in-cheek type of way when it comes to the New York Islanders. As yeah. you know, I like to be optimistic. That's reverse psychology. Um, yeah. Tom had some Tom had some positive words uh, early <laughs> in the season about the Islanders, and they lost five games straight. <laughs> I just like like I. I, I some of the advanced stats, like I'm a big fan of them. Um, yeah. you know, it, it does indicate, you know, who's carrying play and stuff like that. And I just don't feel that there's been a sustained period of time where the honors have carried play, at least in the first two games. No, again, just first two games, very small sample. Mm-hmm. But if you're constantly having the play carried to you, I just don't think you're, it's, it's very hard to win games like that against good teams. Absolutely. And we'll see what will happen in game three tomorrow night out in Long Island. And we'll, before we get to that Toronto-Montreal game, just a few comments here from Noah. Noah, again, thank you so much for the comments. Islanders have a system in place that has had some success, but they don't have enough players to match up against Boston. Very true. Fair play to the Isles, but I think the Pens just blew it, outshot the Isles, 117. Yep, similar thing. We just talked about them outshooting the Islanders in each of the series that they played so far in these playoffs. Slightly above average team with some good players and a Hall of Fame goaltender. I imagine he's referring to us with that comment. Mm-hmm. Um, 150%. When the King was in his prime, standing on his head, and the Rangers had no superstar, they were built like the Islanders. It only takes you so far. Look at Toronto. Three stars on offense, but average goalies. Never yeah. works. You need a balanced team with a very good goalie and a top player. That can carry you. The, the, no Tavares. I think Muzzin was hurt, right? So it's not shocking that they blew a 3-1 lead in this series. The 2012 team was known as the black and blue shirts. I mean, they, they got as far as they went. And frankly, they they actually they had, if you really go back and look, they had they played the eighth seed, the seventh seed, and the sixth seed. They lost to the sixth seed, who who played the eighth seed from the West, which was LA who ended up winning. They would not have had an easier road, but they that they just had no business being there. It was all right. one quest. It is what it is. Kevin Fitzmorris, this is my kind of show. Kevin. Kevin. How's it going? Make sure to go check out Kevin on JDF Sports. His gym videos fire me up. It doesn't make me want to go yeah. to the gym, but it fires me up to at least think about going to the gym. Especially if you bring him on. He's nice and hot and sweaty. It's just yeah. really, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I turned my basement in, into a gym this past year. So that's, uh, yeah. I Shout out, Kevin. I, I put an extra fridge in mine. So we're, we're not the same. <laughs> you should get a full out vending machine in there, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. Matthews with the eleven point six million dollar golf trip. Yeah, see that's a that's a problem with Toronto too. They got four guys on that team: Tavares, yeah. Matthews, Nylander. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean Nier, Nylander I, and and who's the other one? Um, Marner. Marner. Yeah, Marner's making a ton of money. I mean, you yeah. got to get rid of two at least two of those guys in the offseason. You have to. I don't know that you have to, but it's they're at, they're roughly fifty percent of cap in those four guys. Yeah, right, but it's, it's not working. It's, it's not yeah, but, working. They're not coming up when they need to come up. I mean, they, they got a goalie in there who's average. Okay, you got Campbell. That's fine. Campbell's fine. But, you know, you got Anderson in there for the seventh game where, I don't know, I, I just I, I kind of had a little bit of a doubt in there, and I kind of picked, picked the Habs to win that game because I just figured Carey Price would come up big, and he did. He stood on his head, and he was the, four, he was the, he was the Carey Price that we all thought he was going to be when he first came in the league. So. Well, their coach has been there a while, right? So he'll probably wind up getting fired this offseason. Probably. Yeah. You know, it's I don't I don't know how you start to fix that team. I don't. Because you're not going to convince me that it's in your best interest to trade Mitch Marner. You're not going to convince me it's in your best interest to trade William Nylander. The one guy who's the older one who you might want to think about is Tavares. Mm-hmm. And he has a no-trade clause. So right. – 
I don't know. It's Matthews just, has four years left, too, on his deal. In our preview of the playoffs, I said, you know, this might be the one year Toronto does something because the stands are empty and you don't have the pressure of playing in Toronto. You know, we we in the States, we don't get what that is. You know, like we always say New York's this big media market and the gardens this, the gardens that. Like it is 10x on steroids yeah. for the Maple Leafs in Toronto. Like it, it what's going on there right now is just it literally is nuclear winter. And I don't know how you fix it because you can't get out of these contracts and they're players you don't want to move. Like in, in in what scenario has a team traded away a superstar player and got better afterwards? Like, can you think of any? Because I can't. So they have limited cap space to do. I mean, the flat cap really hurts team like Toronto. They have limited cap space to build their team and they have a lot of money stuck in these guys. So the question then becomes, what do you do? Goaltending for them. It's, it's been a, it's like a journeyman type thing. Freddie Anderson's yep. just the guy. Campbell just got there. He was a former first round pick. Didn't really, you know, pan out where he was right. played. Okay. You know, in, in Toronto, but I mean, last time Toronto's Toronto had a good goaltender. Cujo. I mean, they haven't won a playoff since 2004. So for me, oh, like, listen, Joseph. If, if, if Toronto's going to be on a fire sale, if I'm the New York Rangers, I'm in the front of the line for that fire sale because oh, I have young talent by the truckloads. And if you want to give me William Nylander, I'll take him off your hands. I'll be a very nice gentleman. You know, it's a friendly handshake deal. It's fine. Um, I, like I said, and one of the topics I'm going to talk about on Thursday night's Blue Truth is, you know, how are the Maple Leafs a cautionary tale for the Rangers? And not to give it away, but, you know, look the Rangers with their high draft picks and, and what kind of cap contracts they're going to have you really got to be careful of putting all that money into the, into, you know, concentrate into a couple spots because it hurts. Hurt is a very, very good word to use, to use to describe this series as look, by no means am I defending the Maple Leafs in any way by saying this, but losing Jake Muzzin didn't help left game six. He led the team with 16 hits in that series defensively had two goals. Canadians won both games five and six in overtime, game five and OT, game six and double OT. So it's not like Toronto lost their fight or anything. But when you have the momentum heading into a game seven, Toronto didn't show up. Their backs were against the wall. And Montreal, I feel like, I'm not saying they're the better team, but they just had the momentum. And they took mm-hmm. that into the next round. And, and by the way, <laughs> just want to pin this comment, talk, talking about a fire sale, Austin Matthews jersey at his barbecue. See. But but that's the other thing, right, is those two guys combined to do absolutely nothing in the series. And it is very difficult to win when that's who you have. Like if, yeah. if, you, re- if, if you have a if, – if the goaltending dries up for the Islanders, they're going to get slaughtered because they win games as a result of that. So if you're the Maple Leafs and you've won games and been dominant because Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and the like – have just been skating circles around your opponents and that's and that you know music stops it's asking a lot to then suddenly try to start winning games in a, in a different way the only thing to me that's just most of Matt is 23 yeah you know? like these guys have been around and marner's not that much older these guys have been around for so long as mm-hmm. kids that you have people that are willing to get you know blow it up when they're 23 yep like it's just kind of like you know that, well, that Matthews is Matthews is riding out when he's when he's up he's going he wants to go to Arizona where he's from so no he doesn't no he doesn't I think no, he does little, not 
There might even be a team there when his contract well, is They should, they should have left a while ago, but I, he's I think not even no, thinking he's going to want to go there because that's where he's from. But. Nah, I, I, I doubt it. They I, get I, a new, I will take the under on that. They get a new coach. They should be all over Gallant. They get him, turn around in a heartbeat. Well, don't be surprised if he's not picked up by a different team between now and now. I know. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Ask, but they should be all in on him. Yeah, but look, let me ask you, sir. Who, why would you want to coach the Maple Leafs? It's because they have the – they have the talent to do it. It's just they're not getting over that hump yet. That, that is that is a get hired to get fired job. That is a thankless job unless you actually find a way to win something. Right, like Nick Sirianni. Yeah, I wouldn't want that job. The, the New York Rangers head coaching job is infinitely more interesting than the t- Toronto coaching job because you have a team that's young with a bunch of assets you can use to build your team up, and they have $30 million in cap space. You're walking into Toronto with no space, half a roster. What are you supposed to do? And it'll be your fault if they lose. So I don't think that's a – that is not a job, I think, that is going to attract – I mean, unless you just grew up in Canada and you want to go coach the Leafs because it's like coaching the Yankees. But I don't really see that as like a premier job. Like Sheldon Keefe was internal. He was he was brought up from the Marlies to my recollection. So I, it wasn't as if they went outside the box <laughs> – pardon the pun – to wow. go and, <laughs> you know, bring a guy in. You know, to me, I just – if I have a chance, and I understand that the shirt and hat I'm wearing, but if I have a chance to coach a team, my two options are the Rangers and Toronto. I'm all in on the Rangers, and you can call them the, you know, you know West Texas Cactuses, and that's the. T- I'm, I'm, st- I'm I'm all in on that group of players more so than what Toronto is because you can't get out from under it, and it, the, the media pressure is nuts. So if Brian, the Flyers called you tomorrow and offered you five million dollars a year to coach the team. You wouldn't do it. Um, do I have another offer on the table? Or it, I mean, that's the only offer. I mean, Wait, it's an easy commute. Yeah, yeah I'm just gonna say you're right <laughs> here. You're just I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll take less to go to New York. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I'll take the train for two hours a day. <laughs> now we do have two other series to talk about. Obviously, Montreal moves on to play Winnipeg. It'll be a three-four matchup. They just like really- we all drew it up. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the second 3-4 matchup. Uh, game one will be tomorrow night at Winnipeg. But I do want to touch upon the other series, the Vegas Golden Knights and the Colorado Avalanche. Mm-hmm. Colorado up one nothing in that series. Now, I feel like this is the dream matchup out of that division. This is the matchup that everybody wanted to see. A lot of people feel that the winner of this series will advance to the Stanley Cup Finals, and I don't think that is far-fetched at all especially considering how convincingly the Avs won, not just in game one, but in their series. I forget who the heck they beat. It was so long St. ago. Louis. St. Louis, yeah, who won the Cup two years ago. So Nate McKinnon, Gabriel Landeskog, those have been some great scorers in these playoffs. Uh, Cole McCarr, three assists the other night at four points. Now the only thing is Nazim Kadri did lose his – they denied his appeal for his eight-game suspension, so that's going to be big back from the Blues series. They're not going to have him. And um, I think Ryan Reeves is suspended as well. He mm-hmm. had a, a legal cross-check or something on Graves. I, I don't remember the exact instance, but how will these not having these players affect the outcome of this series? I don't think it will that much because of how talented and deep both of these teams are, personally. I think what they did to Vegas in game one just tells you how good they are. Yeah, because the, Vegas is a very good hockey team. I understand they're coming off a seven-game series, which should not have gone seven games. You can blame Vegas for that. Um, Minnesota, whatever. I think that's more Vegas than Minnesota. But it just says how far and away that team is. 
and they are so good in every facet of the game and they're deep and they're young and they have cap space. It, it is the absolute top to bottom, perfect hockey team. And they do everything so well. I thought Colorado would win. I never thought that they would wipe the floor with a team like Vegas, the way they did in game one. And that's, that's cautionary. And right now the winner of that series would play the winner of Montreal Winnipeg. So to me, with all due respect to those two teams, which frankly shouldn't still be playing, to be fair, this is the de facto Western Conference final, so to speak. So, I mean, look, it's the same thing I said about the Islanders. I don't like that Vegas goes back and forth between Fleury and Leonard. I don't like that. I think you need you need your guy. Whoever guy that that's your guy, and if he's healthy, he plays. I think goalie's the one thing, like you can't go back and forth. And I I hated hated them starting Leonard in game one. Flory coming off that game seven win. I just hated it. Yeah. I don't think I don't think it's conducive to winning in the That's NHL. Yeah. And, and and honestly, Colorado's on such a run right now. I mean, can you really like in good faith think that Vegas has a has a couple wins in them in the series? I don't right now. And they're a very good team. Yeah, I think that, you know, obviously it was questionable why, you know, they said they wanted to give Flurry a breather, which is understandable. But in a series against Colorado where there is no there's literally no breathing room to make any mistakes. That's not something that you want to test out game one. People forget that Max Pacioretty, who was the leading goal scorer this year, just came back. I think from a COVID stint, I think it was. I could be wrong about that, but that's also key. The success in which Vegas has. And Ryan, you said it. Colorado from top to the bottom is a perfect hockey team. Like there's no holes. I thought last year. If Grubauer didn't get hurt last year, I think they would have went to the cup, and that they cost, probably would have won it. That cost me so much money. All <laughs> I, I, I needed was after when that series to close off a couple of parlays. That just, but that's that. I mean, we could talk yeah. about this. Might be the de facto, you know, uh, Western Conference Finals. This might be the pole finals in general. What was depicted because in this series, you know, we looked at the regular season. There was a hairline. There wasn't even a there wasn't even a hairline of differentiation between how these teams played each other. I think they split the series. The goaltenders basically had the same exact save percentage. They scored almost the same exact goals against each other. There was no difference. And like you said, Brian, to come out and absolutely wipe the floor with them in a 7-1 victory gave them absolutely no breathing room whatsoever to do anything. And then to throw out Leonard, who's not a bad goalie whatsoever, can be a starter on any other team. And to just to do that, even though you wanted to give Flurry a breather, to do that in a game one against this team, it's like, you know, take this team seriously. This is a legit team. This is the team that everybody's picking not only to represent the Western Conference in the finals, but to win the whole thing before the playoffs even started the way they were playing this season. So I don't know, but I, I, to be honest, based on how Vegas played, you know, all these injuries, guys being suspended now, guys coming back, Max Pacioretty, who's really the fire behind that offense, who missed so much time, you know, we could potentially be seeing a, a quick series rather than a 6-7 game like everybody predicted. Yeah. As a as a fellow goalie, I, I can tell you, playoffs, it, there's no time for breathers. They know what's at stake. They know how to get ready for it. And like I said, you have to get a goalie in a groove. You can't flip-flop, oh, he played bad this game. I need him off. No, you got to keep the guy in there. you got to keep him in and get rolling, get rolling. And there was no reason why Fleur wasn't in there game one to get him off on the right foot. Um, you want to get up two, two, three zip? Okay. And you can get a break if you want. But that's totally different to start off a series and, and not have your number one guy in there. Um, I, I still think the Avalanche can can win this series as good as, as Golden Knights are. Um, like Brian said, they're loaded. I mean, they're just from Grubauer to, I mean, everything that they have. We we've been, I think, me and Brian picked picked them every year to come out of the West. I mean, they're just that good. Um, I, I think I think the Avalanche is going to be too much for the Knights, even though 
they only, they're only it's one game down, but I, I think the uh, the Avalanche win in uh, six in this game. In this I mean, the, the the Knights had two guys over twenty goals in Stone and Pacioretty. Yeah. Where would they play on Colorado? I, I, it, it's wild, and and third, they third line. they still have guys coming. Bowen Byron was a fourth overall pick a couple of years ago, the year mm-hmm. that the Rangers took Kako. That I thought he should have been the third overall pick. Clearly, Alex Newhook was a first round pick that year. This is not a team that's going to go away. So when I hear when I hear um, comparisons with the Rangers right now to they're the next Avalanche, like that that makes me very excited in my pants. They're like the lightning. They just bring people in waves at you and, and just, you know, smother you. <laughs> That's what they do. They are so good. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest, guys. Before the playoffs started, I was leaning towards picking Vegas if this series was to come about because of the goaltending experience with Mark mm-hmm. andre Fleury. But now watching Colorado take their opponent down in four games and St. St. Louis down in four, and then Vegas was – brought to game seven by the Minnesota wild Colorado's had over a week off Vegas is tired. You know, you guys analyzed it perfectly. I think Colorado's going to win this series. And now I think Noah's right. You could potentially be looking at a Colorado Tampa final. That would be Um, awesome. That would be really good. Especially against the abs. They haven't lost the playoff game yet. They've given us no reason to bet against them right now. Absolutely not. I know that I know the Tampa Tampa Carolina's next topics. So I I won't get ahead yes. of that, but I have I have I have some thoughts. <laughs> it is the next topic, and uh, roll through these couple comments here. Vegas has a Vizina candidate and rested him in a series where they need everything they have. Avs are like what the Lightning were a few years ago, except I think they could actually become even better. That's an interesting comment too. Now let's move on to the Lightning coming off Stanley Cup Final last year. They are the champions. Can they repeat is the question, and so far so good. They were the three seed in their division. They took care of the Florida Panthers in six games. They won four nothing in Game Six as the Hurricanes won their game, won their series in six games as well, where they won the last two games. Jordan Stahl, Sebastian Ajo, a couple of game winners. Now, Tampa Bay, they're up one nothing right now. Canes did. Hold the edge in game one in face-off percentage and shots on goal. And then right now they're live. End of the first period, no Four score. Less. Yeah. The difference in this series is going to be goaltending because I love Carolina. I love most everything Carolina does. In fact, when they go back to the divisions next year and Carolina's in the Metro with the Rangers, they're the only team that I really have a long-term concern about because they're young and they're deep and they're star-studded. Their best players are all very young. But Tampa Bay, you forget how good they are. It's wild because they just won the Stanley Cup, but you forget how good they are because Kucherov wasn't there all year. It was a masterful job of cap circumvention, and I tip my hat to the Tampa Bay Lightning for doing it. But – Talk about a deadline acquisition. You just have Nikita Kucherov to a playoff roster, and everybody's like, oh, Florida's going to beat them. Florida had a ba- – the regular season lightning is not this lightning. Stan Coast was hurt. He came back. Kucherov came back. That They're as deep a team offensively as, as mm-hmm. there is. And you have a Vezina candidate and Vezina winning goaltender who isn't even the reason they win games behind them. Oh, did I forget Victor Hedman and Ryan McDonough in their defense? I mean, this is they are so deep and so good. They do a wonderful job of making the NHL salary cap look like it's not even there. And people forgot how good they were. 
And that's why they weren't getting any of the credit coming into the playoffs. I, I fully expect them to beat Carolina, who I think is very, very good. And if the Islanders make it a series with Boston and that goes longer and longer, that only helps Tampa Bay. So the difference to me, when you have two very good teams, I think that the forwards are close. I, I love Sveshnikov and Ajo, and, and the, they just have so many good players in Carolina. Defense, I think... Yes and no. I, I'm a Dougie Hamilton guy, but the rest, Lee Slavin. I mean, I just think it's it's going to get better over time. It might not be like where Tampa's is right now. It's goaltending. It's Vasilevsky versus Nedeljkovic, and I'll take Vasilevsky ten times out of ten in that. That's going to be the difference to me in the series. Yeah, Vasilevsky is is a monster in there, and that's that's even reason to scare itself to play Tampa Bay. I mean, besides like Brian said with Hedman and you know Stamkos and, and Kucherov and all these guys, they're just they're just loaded. I mean, just like. They're the Eastern monster, and then the Avalanche is the Western monster. I think the goaltending, like you said, you know, wins it. And uh, yeah, I think Vasilevsky any day of the week. Yeah. No, nothing yeah. more to add. There's really nothing more to add. <laughs> no, it's it's hard to bet against Tampa Bay in this series. I mean, yeah. look, they still have a few ex Rangers on their team, and I know Tampa Bay Lightning very battle tested. Had the very disappointing playoff appearance a couple of years ago. I believe that was against Carolina, actually, right? If I'm not mistaken, or no, that was against uh, Tortorella's team, yeah. Columbus. And then Carolina, they advanced to the conference finals that year with a very, very young team coached by Rob Brindamore, who now two years later has his team in the second round again, much better, more experienced. Yep. They're going to pose issues for Tampa Bay, but is it enough to win this series? I don't think so this time around. So I have Tampa Bay advancing as well, and they'll end up playing the Boston Bruins. Carolina gets a goalie somewhere. Just look out. Yeah, Really? Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you, if you start looking at the Metro in a couple of years, you know, I, I think that the, the, you know, the, the teams that the, the, the regulars, you know, the, the Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh trending down. Washington trending down. The Islanders, I think, are going to run into a salary cap issue. Plus, they're actually the third oldest team in the league, which is wild if you really think about it because you don't really see them as like this super old team, but that's and they are what they are. The Devils can't get out of their own way. The Sabres can't get out of their own way, which actually they're going back to the Atlantic anyway. But Columbus is now a dumpster fire. Everybody wants to leave. So, like, I, I mean, if, if you look at it top to bottom, I think that the two teams three years from now that are going to run the division are Carolina and New York, and Carolina gives me a lot of – angst because I think they're they're very, very good. And they're going to be very, very good. A couple more comments here. I um, think this year is massive for Stamkos. He wants to win a Stanley Cup as a leading force instead of just a little cameo. That's a real good point. You're going to make Garth blush. Hell yeah. He's a Lightning fan. That's why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Now, this is the last question that I really have for you guys on the NHL. We've talked about all the teams left in the playoffs right now um who do you think holds the edge like if you had to make a pick no pen and paper involved guys can the tampa bay lightning repeat as stanley cup champions or is there another team that you think gets in the way of that i, I think, think they, go ahead no go ahead i think i think they reach there but it's it's i think it's going to be colorado versus them and i think the only edge necessarily that they have over a colorado team is just experience because they both on on both sides of the puck are, are tremendous, whether it's defense or offense, and the goaltenders as well. They, uh, I think the Vesna candidates just came out today. It's Flurry, Grubauer, and Vasilevsky. So they they really necessarily don't have much edge over each other, except for the fact that Tampa has experience. So can they repeat? Yes, but it's 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 not a guarantee either. It's not a pen to paper guarantee. Tampa's got the harder road, the much harder road. 
because Carolina is excellent. I think Boston wins the series. I think Boston's very good. That's going to be a knockdown, drag them out type of series. Tampa can win that series. But Colorado, I think right now, I, I mean, there doesn't seem to be a lot of pushback to them making it to the final. However, if there is a team left that can beat Colorado, it is Tampa Bay. Because it's it's kind of like, you know, the ghost of Christmas past versus the ghost of Christmas future. Colorado is going to have a lot more runway. They're a very young team all around. Tampa Bay realistically only has a, a couple more legit shots at championships. The salary cap is going to come back to bite them. They're not going to be able to keep the whole team together. They have long-term contracts that can't be moved to players that were worth it at the time. But, you know, again, father time. So would it shock me at all? No. In fact, right now, if you're asking me, I think it's a Tampa-Colorado final, which is going to be great for hockey because I think those teams are the, are the, the two best remaining top-to-bottom teams. I think it goes long. Tampa Bay can beat Colorado. They can not saying they will, but they can, and that's going to be a very good series. I would love to see what the betting odds are in that series like when it actually happens because they're two very even teams. Yeah, I don't want to keep repeating the uh, the obvious here, but, yeah, I think it's going to be Colorado-Tampa Bay myself, and I think Tampa Bay's got a little bit of an edge because Colorado's a younger team, and they're going to, like Brian said, they're going to be there for the next coming years where Tampa Bay has a small window, and it all it's all going to come to an end soon with, with stuff catching up to them on contracts, so – um, yeah, I definitely think Tampa Bay could, could reach the Stanley Cup and they could win it again. I'm with Mike. I think Tampa Bay is actually going to repeat. Uh, I'll say that. I, I just think, again, the experience is a factor. Colorado is there. But, again, you know, based off the matchup, Tampa Bay does have the best shot. Champa Bay, as we like to say. <laughs> yeah. So Noah agrees. Tampa just barely. That series would go to seven either way. Yeah. Uh- Tom, it's so nice when a team has no state tax to pay against their salary cap. It just opens up so many doors. <laughs> yeah. Tom, what was it? Exactly. We had Chris Ness, uh, Chris uh, no no sec. Sec. a couple of weeks ago, yeah. uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he said what, like uh, eighty million dollars salary cap, or like one hundred twenty million dollars salary uh, yeah. uh, payroll, or something like that. Well, but again, it was masterful circumvention. So Kucherov, whether he was hurt or not, just miraculously go, oh, hey, oh, game one, oh, hey guys, I got my skates in the back. Like he was fine. Like. Again, whether the league wants to make, make a court case out of it, it is what it is, but they got around it. Kudos to them. I wish my team would do stuff like that. But they do have an inherent advantage because when you go to Tampa Bay and sign a $9 million deal, you're getting $9 million, no state tax. It, it, it goes back to Ryan Callahan. Callahan took less money from Tampa Bay and ended up with more in his pocket than he would as a Ranger. So not to tangent the hell out of this, but there should really be a study done about state taxes and salary caps. I don't think it's fair Absolutely. to you. Florida is definitely a great place. Noah, I have a man crush on Nathan McKinnon. Well, that's excellent. <laughs> uh, but Brian, Mike, anything you guys would like to add uh, before we let you go tonight? I mean, I just thanks for having us on. We really appreciate it. the relationship we have with you guys is awesome, and you know, I'm just looking forward to having you guys on our show again, and vice versa, and just you know, making making everything great and having people watch and liking the shows and moving the needle forward. That's all the goal is. We're, we're normally on Tuesday nights. We're actually going to be back next Tuesday. We have Dominic Roussel, yep. the former Flyers goaltender, is going to be on the show next week. Yep. That's the show that we do together. Mike does a nice job on teeing off, which is our golf show with Dave Cartwright. Uh, the, my golf knowledge 
pretty much starts and ends with uh, Happy Gilmore. Zero. Um, so I, I, I don't really, it's not really my cup of tea, but for those who <laughs> cup of tea it is, I strongly recommend it. And if you're a Rangers fan, I'll be doing episode two of Blue Truth this Thursday night and uh, had a blast doing it before. It's, it's really a passion project for me. I mean, if you can't tell that when you saw me on the MSG commercial, there's very little I place in life above this team. And when I'm in, if I'm just talking about them, it's, it's, it's very cathartic for me. Like I just, it's kind of just, it's, it flows and we'll be doing, you know, results of the draft lottery, which the Rangers are probably not going to win for the third straight year. Um, and again, why, why Toronto is a cautionary tale and why Colorado is a blueprint for a Rangers team with just an absolute ton of youth coming up and, and what's there. So uh, it'll be, a, it's the summer of discontent is on in New York. That's the blue truth this Thursday at eight 30, right? That's the plan. Awesome. So brand new show, guys, make sure to go follow the sports box on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, subscribe to them on all the podcasting platforms that you wish. And Mike and Brian wanted to thank you both so much tonight. Yes, I do love the relationship that we do have. I know you guys have had me on your show a couple of times. Very honored to be on that. Talk about some giants and, you know, we'll, we'll see, we'll see what happens with our Rangers next season. Hopefully, uh, you know, I, not going to bet that we're going to get a top two to three pick again. Well, well, you know what it is though? So the way the, the lottery rules are this year, you're going to know very quickly because they have the longest odds. So when they pull pick 16 and if it's the Rangers, you know, if it's not, you know, and that way you can pretty much start running around your house because you're picking one or two again. And I wish he knows. So I, Mike was at my house actually when really? they did the taco draw. And I'm surprised his wife didn't throw him out of the house. That night. I, I, I was literally like um, beside myself at that point. And then last oh, year, actually, I didn't even film it. But when I, mean, I have, where is it? I live three miles away from him. I literally could have opened the window of his house and heard him screaming. And you know what? I will tell you, I'll make a prediction. If, if the Rangers somehow miraculously get the number one pick again this year, I'm throwing every TV in my house out the window. Yeah. All right, so buy new TVs. <laughs> no, but really, I, I it, it's not going to happen again. I mean, no. if it did, but it's not going to happen again. I mean, last um, year was going to happen either. <laughs> that's true. It's, it, listen, <laughs> listen, COVID sucks, right? Worldwide pandemic and a, a lot of pain out there. I can't be all mad. At the end of the day, it, it, it took the winding road to Alexi Lafreniere to New York. I mean, it wasn't all bad. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, but no, listen, we, we, we love working with people with good people. And we, we love working with guys that review and preview. If, you, if this is your first time watching, please follow them on the socials. They, they are, they do a wonderful job. A lot of different content they're doing with different hosts, different nights. We, we just love seeing them grow. So uh, j- join, join their uh, following if, if you haven't yet. Yep. Absolutely. Awesome. Brian, Mike, thank you both so much again. Really appreciate it. We'll have to have you back on soon, but until then make sure to go check out Brian on Thursday on Blue Truth, and then Mike and Brian next week at Highly Opinionated, 8.30 p.m. on the Sports Box on Tuesday. Thanks, Thank you, guys. Go Bruins. <laughs> Love you. Uh, way to end that. That was Brian Atard and Mike Galetta from the Sports Box. Thank you both so much for joining. Had a lot of fun with them. Kyle, man, I got to tell you one thing. I really do think your Islanders have a slim chance to advance. Dude, keep slim. on with the jabs, man. The jabs. Slim. I will uh, take them. And you know what? Speaking of jabs, we have our five-minute rant here tonight to close out the show. Just five minutes. And I'm so, so happy. As you know, I'm not the biggest NBA fan out there, 
Take the floor, my friend. Take the floor. But if I do have, you know, my team is the Milwaukee Bucks. Oddly enough, last year, the Miami Heat beat the Milwaukee Bucks in the second round. There is a lot of things I had to deal with on the show that I don't want to go back to talk about. And <laughs> I waited a year, and the bubble popped a little too soon for Milwaukee. But now it's time to fear the deer, ladies and gentlemen. Milwaukee is back. They're going to advance against the Brooklyn Nets because they match Hot up days. the best about them. They match up the best with them out of the entire Eastern Conference. But, Kyle, no, for real. In game four, I was shocked. Personally, I was shocked this series was a sweep. The Bucs pulled away in the second half after being down in game four behind 420-plus point scores. Dante DiVincenzo out for the playoffs with a tendon injury. And Brian Forbes all of a sudden has erupted out of a volcano. Yeah. What was wrong with Miami in this series? You know, you, you you watch basketball, you know the stars, and usually when you're losing a basketball game, you go to your role players, and that was the direct opposite for the Miami Heat. They were getting bench support every single game, uh, in the first game specifically. Uh, one of the things that I said uh, that the Heat were going to need was – a lot of success out of Duncan Robinson. We saw that in game one, seven for 13 from the three-point line. That's tremendous. I think that was tied for the most threes that he's made all season long. And that was in game one against the playoffs. Way to set like a tone. Uh, they lose in a crushing defeat. And then just games two, three, and four, I, I couldn't even tell you. I couldn't even tell you. It's it's They lost because their stars simply just did not show up. Jimmy Butler, I mean, and they, and they would tell you that. You know, four for 22 in game, in game one. Can't win that kind of game. I think four for 10 in game uh, two and overall 29% uh, field goal percentage for Jimmy Butler in that series, you're not going to win. You're just not going to win. Bam out of bio. He had a couple good games. I think he had two double doubles out of the four games. So he was decent. Uh, good bench support from Drogic. Decent games from Tyler Hero. Duncan Robinson after that game one necessarily didn't really have any sticking standpoint performance. They, they just simply got outplayed, and it was truly the revenge tour of Milwaukee. I said it going into this series that, you know, while I was rooting for Miami to win, I didn't think they were going to win because, again, to have that option, which we've seen numerous amounts of times in these games, is that why I thought the Heat were going to lose is because last year, Tom, when Giannis drove the paint and Bam Adebayo was there to contain him or Jimmy Butler was there to contain him in a sense, and not that they did a good job this year whatsoever, because he had, what, a triple-double, like 31, 16, and whatever. But he had an option to pass out to now, multiple options. You know, last year didn't have that. All he really had was Middleton to pass out to. You mean you have talked about this. The bench was really, really old, and there was nobody. You couldn't count on Bledsoe, and you weren't going to really count on Brooke Lopez to be a absolute stud from the three-point line to pass out to. Now you got Holiday out there. You got Brent Forbes out there. You had DiVincenzo out there. You had Middleton out there. That's why they had so much success as much as they did. I was talking about it, I think, with Paul the other night. I think in games two alone, they had three guys off the bench, Portis, um, Portis, Connaughton, and Bryn Forbes combined for 11 or 13 made three-pointers. They had 33 to 39 points just in threes out of those guys alone in that game. I mean, yeah. what kind of recipe for success is that if you're the opposing basketball team? They just they showed no fight to me, and that was was really disappointing. It's one to get swept. Obviously, getting swept is horrific, but if you're getting swept and you're being competitive with a team, that's one yeah. thing. But you get swept and you weren't even in 
three of these games, it's it's really, really tough to watch, especially based on how they ended off last year. Yeah, and I definitely agree. Milwaukee moves on. The Miami Heat, I was more scared of them than any other team that was seated below us, more scared of them than the Knicks, the Hawks. Yeah. The hell, the Wizards. Um, but matchup-wise, so, yeah, I mean, I was being a little sarcastic a couple moments ago when I said the Bucks are definitely getting past the Nets. <laughs> now, I don't necessarily think that's the case, but um, – I think they're the best matchup for them. They I are I the best. You. They're better matchup for them than Philadelphia because um, who's going to guard Giannis defensively in the paint? Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan are way past their prime. So who is going to defend Giannis in the paint? I don't trust Kevin Durant doing that. Um, Kyrie Irving is a piece of glass. Guy played single, nearly single-digit games in college. This lineup has played together for, what, eight games this year? With the exception of the playoffs. I don't trust them staying healthy in a, a seven-game series, and I think that's what it's going to boil down to. And they haven't put Boston away yet. I think game five is what? Game five is tonight? Uh, they're playing right at now. At the Garden? Yeah. yeah, they're playing right now. Oh. Not, at the, not at the Garden. I think they're playing in Brooklyn right now. Yes, because game five. Game six would be in Boston if they were to keep it going. But Brooklyn will win the series against Boston. Yeah. The issue is – think the matchup is more challenging for Brooklyn against Milwaukee than it is Philadelphia. Um, yeah. I think this series has potential to go seven games. I think not having DiVincenzo could hurt Milwaukee in this Brooklyn series because they do lose a little bit of depth as now where you saw Connaughton start game four and Forbes come off the bench, for that, which I think is the smarter idea because Connaughton's been there longer and you want to leave Forbes on the bench to keep his confidence up shooting wise. And with that second unit, but can the Bucks beat the Nets in this series? Because obviously the, the question isn't can they beat the Nets, but do we feel confident that they will? I mean, it's a it's a tall task, and I, I feel like I've been saying this. I'm a, I'm a record, keep on repeating myself. But yeah. if you were to have to choose a team that would be the toughest matchup for the Brooklyn Nets, it would be the Milwaukee Bucks, and that's not just in the Eastern Conference. When I say that, I think that's an overall NBA general perspective between Western Conference and Eastern Conference. Yeah. I think they're the best matchup for them. And why I say that is, again, uh, I, I can't remember what I said it on last week, but when you look at this trio that Milwaukee has to offer, in terms of all-around best trio in the NBA, I think they may hold that title from a standpoint. Again, not Brooklyn, I think, is the best trio in the NBA. I'm talking about all-around trio. That comes on both sides of the basketball, whether – because I don't think there's any other trio in the NBA, any other tandem in the NBA that you could count on really, really, really good defense from Middleton, Holiday, and Giannis, and they could each drop 20 if they want to. I, I don't think that comes with any other trio or tandem in the league at this point in time right now that could be as competitive against the Brooklyn Nets team right now. But with that being said, you look at Holiday, you look at uh, Middleton, in yeah. terms of guys that would have to go up against a Harden, a guy that would have to go up against Kyrie, whichever one you would want to choose, again, a, a victory is holding those guys to sub-20, sub-25 points. So you'd have to live with that no matter what, giving up points but holding them to a minimal amount. I don't I don't think there's any other guys that are left right now in, in, in the Eastern Conference, in the Western Conference, that would be a better defensive matchup against those guys. And then Giannis – Having the frame similar to KD, where he's athletic and mobile and has the lengthy arms, you know, seven one KD stands one of the hardest guys to defend. And while that would be the same case for Giannis, 
I think he has a better shot with the length and the agility and speed like a Durant in which he has. And then on the opposite side, when you flip vice versa, a KD guarding a Giannis, you know, KD could, uh, Giannis could drive right past the KD knowing not only KD will not be able to defend him at the highest of levels, but that there's no center there to meet Giannis in the middle. So I think that while, you know, this was a good talking point for me to be a Bucks fan in the series and, and pick them to win, I still think at the end of the day, what Brooklyn has done is that they showed you that they could turn it on just like that and that they could toy with teams offensively whenever they want to. They they had a game one against Boston, had an 82-79 to 79 lead. Boston yeah. fans were getting really happy, and just in the blink of an eye, they went on a 17-3 to three run. That's just what they have the capability of doing. And, you know, while we've seen Milwaukee be really hot, especially from beyond the perimeter, you know, can they do that consistently? That'll be a question mark because we know that Brooklyn can do that. So we'll yeah. see what happens. I'm still picking Brooklyn in this series, though. If it's, I mean, I think the series is going seven games either way. I don't see Brooklyn winning it earlier than that. Um, I think Milwaukee presents the biggest challenge to them, but will Milwaukee be able to shoot the ball consistently and make up for that loss of DiVincenzo? That is the biggest concern for me. A uh, couple of announcements before we go tonight. Um, first of all, Kyle, I want to thank you again for um helping me run the ship here tonight i mentioned this at the beginning of the show this sunday fdny nypd 48th annual fun city bowl at metlife stadium the first ticketed sporting event since the beginning of the pandemic i will be working that game so i am just plugging that for you all it'll be posted in the review and preview sports corner on sunday at 2 p.m really do appreciate all the support and for those of you who don't know, one of our um, good buddies, Gabe Flayton, has been with us now for the past few months. He hasn't hosted a show in a while. Gabe Flayton had a very interesting month of May, Kyle. We want to congratulate Gabe Flayton on winning a chicken wing eating contest. And Gabe Flayton also has been admitted into law school. So I want to congratulate oh, wow. Gabe Flayton on his month of May and everything that is in store for him in the future. We will keep you updated with his show, The North Pole, covering all things NFC North as we get closer to the start of the regular NFL season. So, Congrats, Gabe. Congrats, Gabe. Uh, Kyle, anything you want to add before we sign off? No, great show as always, Tom. Great show as always. Folks, remember to follow us on all social media platforms. Tune in Thursday on Hitting for the Cycle as Hank and Dichter will be joined by Alec Walt from Down the Block Sports at 7 p.m. to preview this weekend's New York Yankees Boston Red Sox series. That's going to be a lot of fun, but until then, I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. Everybody who commented, commented in the comments section, Brian Atarta, Mike Letter from the Sports Box on joining the show. Appreciate you all, all the love and support. Have a good evening, everybody.